0: Um, There's a uh, surgeon in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. His name was Walter Freeman. I came across this story listening to a podcast, uh, American Scandal. Anybody listen to that podcast? Not so much. That shows you how crazy I am. There's one back there. Thank you. Make me feel better. Uh, Walter Freeman was dubbed the ice pick surgeon because he was the one who was the main proponent and pioneer for what they call transorbital lobotomy. So most of us may have known about the lobotomy, which was in the 20s, 30s, 40s, the primary and only way we thought to deal with mental illness and disease. And unfortunately for many families, the only place that they could send sisters, brothers, children, spouses, uh, even uh, parents would be to asylums that had popped up all over the place because no one knew really how to help or... um, you know, really treat folks with schizophrenia or extreme depression or even anxiety to the point that they wouldn't go outside. And so the thought was is if we could deal with the frontal lobe, which makes decisions and apparently it interacts with the emotional system in the brain. And if we could sever that connection, then that will heal people. And that's exactly what Walter Freeman believed. He was a neurologist and thought, man, if we could do it, we could, we could help all of these people who have no hope. And so just for a moment, if you will, just put aside the fact that a lobotomy is, is barbaric and science has now told us that that has no place in our world. Just put that aside for a second. I want you to think about a man who thought he had a genuine cure for the well-being of people, to offer hope. That's what he thought. And so somehow along the way, in the middle of him pioneering this procedure and going to uh, asylum after asylum, crossing the nation back and forth, performing literally thousands of these procedures, sometimes up to 24 to 30 in a day, trying to bring relief to people's pain and suffering, Somewhere along the way, Walter Freeman went from wanting to help people to a desire to just be right. He went from this desire to truly want to see people be rescued from their their mental bondage and captivity to now when everyone was screaming, this isn't right. You're leaving people worse than before. He was now consciously ignoring the harm and the pain that he was bringing on people. Even when hospital says you can't perform that anymore. Even when asylum says please don't come here anymore. Even when his own partner said I'm out man this is crazy. At some point you have to realize when you're doing a a lobotomy for the second time you're wrong. A third time, he didn't care because he was more obsessed with fame and being right and discovery than he really was the well-being of other people. I I think there's this part in our heart where we start with these good intentions and then all of a sudden it becomes more about us than it does and Jesus has been talking about that really for the entire length of this Sermon on the Mount. And today, he's actually going to challenge us with what we would call surgery. He's going to say we have to perform some. We, we're the patient. And then he's going to call the question, how do we do it? What is our motive? What is our heart? How do we do these things. Let me show it to you in Matthew chapter 7. If you're just now joining us, we've been um, working through the Sermon on the Mount. We call it the Red Letter Podcast. We're saying that if Jesus were to teach these words today, the medium that He might use might be a podcast form. Today's episode, if you will, is real life. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6. It'll be on the screen. He says this, do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will clearly See to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet and tear you to pieces. Did you see the surgery in the passage? Most of us probably didn't because we read the first two verses and we thought, don't judge, there it is, right? That's kind of my favorite passage, more on that here in a moment. But the surgery is actually in verses 3 through 5. It's an eye surgery. It's a surgery that says I need to take a log or a speck and remove it. And there's something to be done in this I'm going to call spiritual surgery. Um, Jesus is clearly using a metaphor. He's not asking us to take something physical out of someone's eye or something physical out of our own eye, but these must represent something. And so I I want to talk about this in terms of spiritual surgery. When I say spiritual surgery, let me define it for you and, and, and then see if we can work our way through the passage. Spiritual surgery is this. It's the removal of flaws, faults, and sins, no matter how small, in our pursuit of becoming like Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Spiritual surgery is the removal of flaws, faults, and sin, no matter how small, in our pursuit of becoming like Jesus Christ. Um, That is a very simple definition for a theological term we call sanctification. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in what He accomplished on the cross and His resurrection, you're a Christian. And it is our job to constantly try to become more and more like Jesus. That's sanctification. And the way we become more and more like Jesus is we take off the things that don't reflect him. Our sin, our faults, our failures, our flaws, sometimes really small, sometimes really big, but they need to be removed so that we can become more like Christ. We talked about this in Ephesians. In chapter 4, he says, take off the old man, anger, lust, Um, lying, stealing, and put on the new man, telling the truth, gentleness, get a job and work kind of stuff. That's what he tells you to do. Or in Galatians, he says, when you're doing works of the flesh, it looks like anger and bitterness and sexual immorality, but when we are working by the the fruit of the spirits, it's love, joy, peace, patience. This idea that I would be putting off the things that would keep me looking like Christ and putting on the things that do. And so in this passage, there's the spiritual surgery of taking a speck or a log and it needs to be removed from us. Every one of us are in need of spiritual surgery. So let's take a look at it again. He says in verse 3, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? Now, all of us have something. All of us have some sort of issue, some sort of sin, some sort of flaw, some sort of issue that needs to be taken care of. For some of us, um, it's the speck. Right? Irritable. Like it irritates you. Got to wink it out. You got to flush your eye. Maybe not much. This could be. I snap at my kids when I come home from work. You know, I I get frustrated when the guy in front of me doesn't use his blinker. Um, At Walmart, when they got to do a price check, or or the, the the self checkout line doesn't work. Um, maybe we just get a little on that kind of an end of it, right? Some of those are um, maybe I, I get a little heated in a meeting at work. These are just little character flaws, personality quirks. I mean, no one's going to, I mean, like nobody's going to sit back and say, wow, you're a terrible person, but they, they need to be dealt with, right? And then in this passage, he also says there's apparently a log, there, there's some things that are bigger. And when we talk about logs, and really the word log there in the text is the idea of weight bearing. You need to think of that pole right there. That's what he's talking about. Something that is massive, and for some of us, and maybe all of us, there are those habits, addictions, character traits that we want no one to see. There's all kinds of stuff, isn't it? That we, would, we have that That needs to be removed. I mean, listen, it could be everything from man, I got I got thousands and thousands of dollars on credit card debt because I just can't quit shopping. I'm looking at stuff online that no one knows about. But whatever it is, right? It's just stuff that needs to be removed. Something that needs to be taken away. Then, then you got everything in between. Right? For those of us who say, man, you know, I, I, got, I got a little something, right? It, it doesn't seem that big. It's, it's okay, right? I, I lied on my taxes, Shh, right? Everybody does. You know, I, I clock in 10 minutes early every day. It's not that big of a deal, right? I didn't say the last time I was going to take vacation. Just kind of little stuff, right? But we all got it. We all have it, don't we? We all are in desperate need of spiritual surgery. We're all in need of it. Every person in the room. Now, for some of you, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So let me talk about the surgery that's needed there. We can talk about removing habits and addiction. We can talk about the idiosyncrasies of our personality. But at the end of the day, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is only one surgery that you need right now. And that is a new heart that can only be provided by Jesus Christ himself. For us to cry out and say, I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. I trust what you accomplished on the cross. Will you create in me a new heart? And when he does that, then we can do the work of working on the rest of this mess in our life, right? So wherever we are, we're in desperate need of surgery. Here's what makes the passage tricky. We're called to be surgeons. And that makes, that makes me nervous. Make anybody else nervous? Now, some of you, you're in the medical profession and you can handle blood. I don't handle blood, right? I pass out and I can't do it. And some of you, like, I, I, I go to making fine cuts. Like, give me a circular saw and a nice big piece of wood where it don't have to be perfect, but to, to make a delicate incision? especially dealing with eyes, like I I start getting nervous. Anybody else? Look at what he says. He says, four, how can we say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Somehow, we are responsible for helping other people remove those flaws, faults, and sin, no matter how small, so that others can become more like Jesus Christ. We're responsible for that. There's two things here. I am responsible to do that individually. I am responsible to, to God and to my Savior Jesus Christ to take a good, hard, honest look in the mirror and say, I have these flaws and faults and sin and they need to be dealt with. I don't get to just kind of look at one side of my face or, or I don't get to turn a blind eye to certain areas in my life. It is my job as an individual to be aware of the logs in my eye. But it's also my responsibility to help others in the community of believers to remove specks. Some of us, men. This is where it gets really tricky, isn't it? But that's the corporate nature of this thing. The corporate nature is that we would say we are all trying to help each other grow and become more and more like Jesus Christ. And here in America, we love our faith to be individual and private. But that is not what the text seems to indicate here. It seems to indicate that we are are to help each other do this. Uh, we, we said the title of this message is Real Life. Because real life implies you know me and I know you. And if I know you and you know me, you're going to see some things in me that need to change and I'm going to see some things in you that need to change. Right? So we've got to be about removing These things to help us. Now, we got to get to how that's done and everything else. And and I know some of you would sit back and say, wait a minute, Russell, wait a minute. Chapter 7, verse 1, you just read it, says, do not judge. How in the world are we supposed to help each other when the text you're reading from says, don't judge or you'll be judged? Let's take a look at it because I, I think maybe when we say the word judge we think the wrong thing. Um, verses one and two. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. With the uh, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Uh, the word judge there in the Greek is the word krino. It has a wide range of use. When I say it and when we read it, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Condemn. Let's just take judge out and put condemn there. Do not condemn so that you won't be condemned. I don't want to be condemned, so I'm not going to condemn anybody. For the condemnation you use will be the condemnation with which will happen to you. Let's, let's, let's try it a different way because condemnation is definitely a way that you could read the word judge. It happens in John 3:17, right after for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He says that Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world but to love the world. But everyone who doesn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is condemned. There is a condemnation. We will spend eternity separate from God if we reject Jesus Christ. That is a condemnation. That's one way the word is used. I don't think that's what's in mind here. There's another way the word is used, and it's in, it's in terms of like a legal setting or a government setting, like a judge who provides over, uh, presides over a lawsuit or a case. That's one way you could look at it. Another way, and I think it's probably the best rendering of the word here, is the idea to discern or make a decision. Let let me show you the word in a couple of other places. Uh, They're going to be on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 7 says this. um, When Jesus is asking his disciples who got the most grace, the guy that was forgiven 500 or the guy that was only forgiven 50, and they said this, Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus replied, you have judged correctly that the word condemned there? No, it's the word, you made a good decision here. You discerned the right answer. You discerned it. Uh, Let me show it to you again in in Acts. In Acts chapter 4, when the uh, Sanhedrin looked at Peter and said, hey, you can't share the gospel anymore, he says this, verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you, rather than God, you you decide you decide it's a discernment issue so now let's go back over here and and try to figure out what is jesus trying to tell us he says do not judge so that you won't be judged is he asking us not to make a moral decision Is that what he's asking? Is he saying you can't determine what's good or bad? Is he saying that you can't say this is sinful and this is not? I don't think so. Because all throughout the Bible, you know what God asks you to do? He asks you to make moral decisions constantly. He asks you to discern a false teacher from a true teacher. Because somebody's got to say, this is right and this is wrong. He asks you to look at your own life and say, are you a liar or do you tell the truth? That is a moral decision. He he wants us to be aware are are we understanding the schemes of the devil which are wrong or can we discern what the will of the father is? Clearly he wants us to make a moral decision. Matter of fact, remember the very last verse that I read to you just a moment ago, verse 6. He says, "Pigs, dogs, don't cast what is holy." You know what all of those words are? A moral decision. You got to make a moral decision at some point. So now the question is, how do we do it? How? Maybe if we put the word fairly there. Fairly. Do not judge unfairly so that you won't be judged unfairly. For with the judgment you used, you will be judged. You say, I don't know, Russell. Let's look at verse 2 because I think verse 2 clears it up for us. The back end, it says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Um, in those days, there would be a scale. And if you wanted to make a, some sort of a transaction, some sort of, of a monetary transaction, you might have a, a weight that you put on that scale. And the weight should be, let's call it a, a pound. But if you weren't an honest person, your weight might be a pound and a quarter. But you told everybody it was what? It was a pound. So that way that they put stuff on it, you are actually going to get a pound and a quarter instead of a pound. Um, let me tell you how this works at my house. Uh, I have a weight scale at home. Anybody else have a weight scale at home? Um, I really don't like it. I don't even know why we have it. But every once in a while, I, I step on it. And mine needs to be calibrated. And it needs to be calibrated often. Anybody else needs need to be calibrated? I get over there and I look at it and it seems like every time it's supposed to, that little red line is supposed to line up right on the zero, but it's always starting at one or two. Well, I ain't getting on a scale that's already biased against me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I got this little wheel at the bottom and I reach down there and I just kind of fum it to the right a little bit to make sure we get that thing on zero. Now, what ends up happening most of the time? That thing kicks over there into the negative, and I'm like, well, let's get on the scale now, baby, right? (laughs) I love it when it's judging in my favor. Is it fair either way? Which way do we want to measure people by? And that's how we do it, isn't it? Some people we give the benefit of the doubt and we slide that little measure to the right and say, oh, that's family, I know them. Oh, they're good, they'll be fine. That's my boss, can't say anything. But for people that don't look like us, talk like us, whatever, like us, what do we do? Slide that way, the other way, and we measure them accordingly. You see, we make moral judgments and God is not saying not to. What he's saying is you better make sure it says zero before you ask anyone to set on the scale. Um, this happens all the time. I, I was in a basketball gym yesterday and you can hear it from the stands. Call it both ways. I'll be on a baseball field this week and they'll say, the strike zone's bigger for them than it is for us or whatever, right? Did y'all see the the Southland Conference umpire that got suspended because he biasly called the third strike because he didn't like the way the batter acted in the batter's box? We do it all the time. And this is what God's asking you to do. It's, we're going to make judgment moral calls, and we've got to do it fairly. Let me, let me tell you just for a minute. You ready? Whenever we get to this, this, this passage Don't judge. All this does, all this verse does for many of us, it just highlights the fact that we hate surgery. It just highlights the fact that we hate spiritual surgery. Anytime somebody's going to come and call something out, what's our favorite verse? Oh, don't judge. Don't judge. And listen, the world loves this verse. The world loves this verse. Some of us think John 3.16 is our favorite. Romans 8 is our favorite. Jeremiah 29.11 is our favorite. No, 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 no. You need to put Matthew 7.1 on a shirt, right? Because this is where some of us are. We hate it. And rightfully so. Who likes surgery? Who likes surgery? Who likes the recovery? Who likes the pain? Who likes all the issue of having to deal with it? And listen, spiritual surgery is no different because you have to tell the truth. You have to get in the weeds. You have to do some things to change. No one wants to do that. If that were the case, celebrate recovery down the road at First Baptist Lexington would be full, but we hate surgery. Small groups would be jam packed, but we hate spiritual surgery. We hate it. And we use verses like this to say, don't don't judge. Or for some of us, in the words of the great theologian Tupac Shakur, (laughs) only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. I hope we see from this passage that's not the way it works. We got to help each other on this deal, right? So how do we do it? Um, To me, it's all about demeanor, posture. How do we we help each other in this? The very first thing he says in in verse 5 is, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's hypocritical to try to perform spiritual surgery where you ignore your own flaws, faults, and sin. To the point that we ignore it and we we only care to be right. We only care to perform the surgery. We only care to call out truth. We only care to be able to call a spade a spade. Whatever it is we want to put in there. The hypocrisy is, doing the surgery without recognition of our own pride and self-righteousness and need for change. Um, You know what this is like, right? Israel standing up in the back. Sorry, I'm going to call you out. A couple years ago, maybe not too long ago, had his ACL repaired. I remember he tells his story about busting his ACL, and as soon as he said it, I immediately thought, oh, man, I hate that for you. You know why? Because 20 years ago, I had mine redone. And there's something about saying, dang, I've been there, and I hate that for him." My wife had her tonsils yanked uh, within the last year. And I'm going to tell you right now, brutal. Brutal. And I, everybody who said, oh, you don't want to get your tonsils taken out when you're an adult, all of you were right. <laughs> right. And I guarantee you, if somebody comes to Terry and says, I'm getting my tonsils taken out, she'd be the first one with a meal, right? Because you see it, you've lived it, you've experienced it. There's, there's something about being able to go to somebody and saying, Listen, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes and I'm, a, I'm the biggest sinner of the bunch, but I love you. I love you. This one needs to change. Have you ever had that conversation? You ever had anybody give you that conversation? And I, <laughs> I remember um, one of the first times, not, not one of the first times, John Reeves and I were sitting at Chick-fil-A in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'd make him go to lunch with me at least once a week, maybe once every couple weeks. I was trying to plan a church. John had done it before. I'm just trying to to get as much information from him as possible. So we meet at this Chick fil A on the Loop outside of Austin, and um, and it was more that day that I needed to gripe. I w- I was mad. It wasn't going the way I thought it I can't believe 400 people haven't showed up to my new church yet. What are these people thinking, right? <laughs> I was frustrated in the process and the people that were supporting me. I thought they were measuring the wrong things. I remember sitting across the table at Chick-fil-A as he's sipping on a sweet tea, and, and I'm, j- I'm barfing all over the table. <laughs> and he listens. And he listens, and then he just, he performs surgery. And he just said, you need to shut your mouth. You got to quit talking about it. You know what God's asked you to do, go do it, and you got to quit whining and complaining. And I got in the car, I was a little mad. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you'd barf with me, right? That's why we barf need a sympathetic barfer here, but no, not John. (laughs) Pulled out the scalpel and did exactly what needed to be done. Did exactly what needed to be done. Right? Um, Last verse, which is is one of the trickiest. um, We all need surgery, but listen, not everybody wants it. All right, not everybody wants surgery, and we gotta quit chasing people around with scalpels and Novocaine or whatever <laughs> we're doing. But let me show it to you, um, verse six. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, for they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Um, I don't have time. I, I got a I got a story about a guy who told me that one time and. It was, it was so great. Um, the word dogs and pigs. I, I don't think this is necessarily trying to characterize people. It's the fact of how dogs and pigs were viewed in the first century. Uh, let me let me show you how Peter talks about them in Second Peter chapter two verse twenty two. It'll be on the screen. He says, "It has happened to them according to the true proverb: A dog returns to its own vomit." And a sow, after washing itself, wallows in the mud. The, the idea is, is they don't want to change. They don't want to change. And when you don't want to change, what good is it chasing people with a scalpel? Um, listen, some of us use our social media like a scalpel. Put it down it down. That's not how we do this. It's not how we do this. Um, Please don't do spiritual surgery via text. Email. Callous phone call. We've all been there, haven't we? Let's not do it that way. Let's do this relationally. And care and love. We don't want to be Walter Freemans running around just trying to be right. We want to do it in relationship where I know when John told me those truths is cuz he loved me and he knew this was what was best for me. And when I've had conversations with folks, I really want I love you and I want what's best for you. Right? Um I'll tell you, tell you a story, and I'll, I'll be done. Um, my oldest son, Milton, uh, he's a senior this year. When he was born, he was born with a rare condition in his hand called macrodactyly. It um, he, he was, a, was a long labor, and when he was born, it was a compound birth. His hand was right up here by his head in the birth canal. And, and uh, you know, first pregnancies, it took a while for, for him to finally come see the world. And when he came out... His, his fingers, we thought, were just swollen by the pressure. And so the doctor said, hey, no big deal. That swelling will go down. And, and after a week or so, it wasn't going down. There was no noticeable change. And, and when I say his fingers were large, I mean they were really big. And uh, this portion of his palm, really big. And so we decided we were going to go to a, a doctor in Lubbock. It was a hand, uh, hand surgeon in Lubbock. Not a pediatric, but a hand doctor, nonetheless. And so we went, and um, Milton at that time just a few weeks old, and and we get there, and and <clears throat> we walk in the door, and the 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 lady looks at Milton and touches his hand, and she goes, "I'll be right back." And she's gone for a while. We're first parents, like I'm, I'm starting to get a little nervous. No no real interaction, no real. Like, I don't even know how to change this kid's diaper fully yet and and you're leaving me in limbo and then she comes in and immediately when she comes in she just starts pulling all his clothes off and checking his body and I'm like what is going on? And then she says, "You know, this is sometimes this is a, a you know, comes along with a syndrome." And I'm like, Whoa, "What what is talk to me." She had never seen it before and so she went and looked at a book or got online and it had no care for us across the table. I, I just, I, I remember she had just said, I don't know, I've never seen it before, but I'm going to take, I'm going to this hand conference and the, the premier hand surgeon in the world is going to be there and I'm going to show her this and maybe she'll be able to help. And I was like, hey, will you tell me who that person is? <laughs> Turns out it's Mary Beth Ozaki, and um, she's, she's retired now. She was working at Scottish Rite Hospital. The premier pediatric hand surgeon in the world is at Dallas, Texas. And so um, we set up an appointment, and it's free. It's free. We walked in, and you had to have an MRI, and that's brutal with a baby. And, uh, oh, it was terrible. And I remember getting in there, and I'm going to tell you right now, Mary Beth Azaki, Pulled up that little rolling stool. Set across from Terry and I. Made eye contact. Treated us like we were the only people in the room. This is the premier pediatric hand surgeon in the world. And the thing that I remember the most is not how she treated us. She grabbed Milton's hand and she touched it like it was her own son's. I was like. Whatever you say to do, I'm in. She could have told me to run through the brick wall right there, and I'd have done it. She has some hard news to tell us. We're going to do some surgeries. We're going to try, but he may end up losing those fingers. And he did. But I'm going to tell you right now, I trusted her every step of the way. You got anybody like that? You can do real life with. Right? You got anybody like that? Hold it and say, "Man, I love you, but this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to be removed. This is the issue. All of us are trying to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And we need some faithful friends who are surgeons to help us along the way. I guess my questions for us today are, um, are you good at the surgery or not? You need to work on your demeanor and your bedside manner? Let's do it. Um, Are there some areas in your life that need surgery, but you're not letting anybody touch it? What needs to be carved out? What needs to be removed? What needs to be done? And for those of us who've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he wants to give you a brand new heart. The greatest surgery of all time. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, Father, we've all had to sit there and either look at ourselves in the mirror and know something needs to change or had somebody who loved us and loved us enough to tell us that it needed to change. Um, Yeah, Lord, I pray that for us in the room that we wouldn't go about this thing alone. We could find people that love us. We could find people that we love and we we could help each other in this journey together. Yeah, Lord, I I confess there's times in my life I just want to be right. I just want to say, I told you so. That's not right. I'm really grateful you didn't do that to me. Um, I'm really grateful for guys like John and, and, and Matt and Brady and some other people who my wife who would um, who'd say, this needs to change and, and do it because they love me. So, Lord, I pray that every person in here would have those relationships. Yeah. Um, so, Lord, as we sing and as we get a chance to worship you as the, the, the great physician, the one who who does this the best, I think about the woman at the well who you spoke truth to, but you loved her. I think about the woman who was caught in sin. They were fixing to stone her. And she knew you loved her, and you told her to go and sin no more. I think about Peter, who you asked three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?